Hello and welcome to the very first episode of The Far Post. My name is Marissa Lordanik and in the iconic words of the Pointer Sisters, I'm so excited. We are about to crack into a whole bunch of women's football chat and thankfully for all of us, I won't be doing this podcast alone. I'm very, very lucky to have these three women alongside me, Anna Harrington, Angela Christian-Wilkes and Samantha Lewis, all excellent football people and even better mates. Sam, I'll start with you. You've arguably had the biggest weekend of us all with Sydney FC winning the A-League Grand Final and then up early this morning covering the Champions League. Have you slept at all? No. No, I have not slept. I am running off coffee and anxiety and uh, <laughs> and a little, little bit of sunlight that I got today when I had to walk my dog. And that's about it, really. But what a, what a like an amazing 24, 48 hours to be part of. Like, I'm glad to lose sleep to, to be up and experience things like that. As I was say, you definitely have had the best weekend, arguably, of us all, and not just because you're allowed to leave your house for more than an hour a day. Angela, we'll catch up with you. You had some tech issues yesterday when we were testing out the, the software. We've solved that, which is all very good, but are we expecting any cat issues this evening? No. Um, after some very unsportsmanlike behaviour from Melon, the fur baby this morning during the Champions League final, um, there have been improved measures to stop him doing that again. So he has been placed in the bathroom. Um, but the best part of it is, is me and my partner Carrie decided that he needed a chair to sleep on um, and I went in and I turned off the light and Carrie was upset and I said cats can see in the dark and Carrie was like but it still feels mean so Melon's getting top-notch treatment being locked in the bathroom no animal cruelty is happening at all and hopefully the podcast will run smoothly without interruption from he's having a little staycation in the bathroom yeah Yeah. I bet he's hating every second of it as well because he's not out here so anyway so no cat interruptions I hope if he gets out that's it I'm quitting the podcast it can't be done We had one good episode and it was excellent. (laughs) Oh, God. And finally, last but not least, Harrow, you've been champing at the bit to get started. You've been telling us all day to save it for the pod, save it for the pod. Are you ready to finally do the pod? Jeez, I better deliver, hadn't I? I've been saying I'm saving up all my good takes for the pod rather than checking them in the group (laughs) chat. And uh, I might just end up uh, being beaten by Melon's antics at this point. Now, I absolutely can't wait to uh, rip into it. Um, There's just so much football happening. We've already got a little taste of it with Sam Kerr over the weekend, Champions League, and I think even more is kicking off over these next few weeks. So, nah, absolutely buzzing to get into it. It's very exciting. There's a lot to get into, but I suppose just as a start, the Far Post is about Australian women's football because when you're looking for something about Australian women's football, There is very little out there and, frankly, the game deserves better. So we are here to fill that gap almost or at least add to the coverage for a bunch of fans. We know what we're talking about and we hope that you can join us in these conversations and we can all continue to celebrate and chat about women's football. So let's crack into it. We'll start off with the Champions League final, which was this morning. Uh, Leon won a fifth consecutive title, which is a bonkers statement to say. Ellie Carpenter becomes the first Australian woman to win a Champions League medal, which is another bonkers statement to say. What did you guys make of the match? I mean, 
I sort of wanted it to be more competitive than what it was, I think. I mean, I think Wolfsburg did really well in the second half to pull a goal back. But, like, when Leon are on, they're on. You know what I mean? And that first half was just, like, it totally justified their reputation. It totally justified all of their trophies. I feel like their run up to the final was maybe a little bit underwhelming. But when I think about Leon, I sort of have to think critically about whether their reputation and my expectations for them have warped uh, the way that I actually view their performances now. Um, But that first half was just unbelievable. Like they are such a good team to watch play football. And everybody seemed to work beautifully together. And But even then, like, despite that, you've got a player like Delphine Cascarino who absolutely tore it up and then was voted player of the match. So even in a star-studded team like that that absolutely steamrolls one of the best teams on the planet, you've still got a, a player who's able to stand above the rest. So, yeah, it was it was just wild. It was an amazing game. We didn't get to see Ellie on the pitch, which Australian had hot hat on is not great but I suppose we almost didn't expect to see much of her during this campaign and I suppose this lends itself into a bit of chat about Ellie's Leon move and I suppose the bigger picture not just for her and her for career her career but how that then impacts Australian football and especially the Matildas we know that Lucy Bronze is leaving Leon she confirmed that at the end of the game so who wants to, I suppose, talk about the kind of wider picture of Ellie's move to Leon? Yeah, I think with Ellie, um, I imagine one thing she's had to keep in mind is this Champions League was initially meant to finish before she'd even made this move. It's effectively last season's Champions League. So the players that have made their moves have really, you know, landed at a fortuitous time. She would have known Lucy Bronze, absolute star of the game, one of the best players in the world. Some would say the best player in the world, depending on who you rate. She would have had an incredible experience. Um, she gets to be part of this squad that wins medals. And I think everyone knows she's clearly the heir apparent to Lucy Bronze at Leon. You don't sign a player to a 2023 if you don't have some ambitions for them. So I think there is, is it poses something interesting in the sense of she will absolutely, you'd have to think, be so hungry to start getting some real minutes when Lucy Bronze is left. And she can start really trying to assert you know, her, her spot, trying to get that right back role trying to lock in. in as Sam was saying, the, the best club team in the world, they're incredible. So I don't think there's anything to worry about if Matilda's fans were watching and going, oh, Noelle Carpenter, she hasn't got any minutes. Well, you know, it's it's a pretty tough gig to to get a spot, to get any minutes when Lucy Bronze is involved. And let's not forget all of these games, as good as Leon have been, scoreline-wise, they've been pretty competitive. So you're not going to take your best player off. Um so for me, there isn't too much to worry about. Um, Angela, what do you reckon? I I was just going to hop in with a less technical analysis. I really loved her second keeper energy celebrating. And it was just really lovely to see as well, <laughs> just to observe that and to see her excitement. And I think it's been touched on, but this is what a three-year deal or a three-year move for her. Um obviously big things in the work and they've got a progression plan in place for her. So I think we'll be seeing a lot more of her down the track. And just going back to what Anna said about the scorelines and I guess the sort of lead up to this Champions League final, something that I find interesting about Leon is like there's just a gentle inevitability about it all. Like I was sort of thinking maybe they'll get pipped by Wolfsburg, but then once it happens, you're like, 
no, no, they really are world class. Like this is the best women's club in the world. As much as we might want to see some change, I you just have to respect it and you just have to admire it. But yeah, for Ellie, I think it won't be too long until we see her out on the pitch and that will be really exciting when it happens. Gentle inevitability was poetry, can I just say quickly? That <laughs> it was lovely. Beautiful. You love to see it. Really strong start from Angela here. And the other thing I loved was you mentioned the second keeper energy on the bench from Ellie. The other thing I love, and I don't know if it's your guys' niche as well, players who maybe don't get so many minutes getting front and centre in really good spots in the celebration photos. I love it. Embrace the moment. <laughs> goalkeepers wearing their kits, third goalkeepers wearing their kits. I love it. Like you only get so many chances to to win silverware in your career. Well, if you're some of those Leon players, you get many, many chances to win silverware. But <laughs> I, think, I do love the energy. And that, I think that's something that's been really evident with Ellie from the get-go. She's right in the middle of celebration. She's, you know, there's hugs and there's cheers and there's clapping. And there's, I don't know if you guys saw the, the dancing in the rooms as well. She's clearly embedding herself right in it. And chatting to her actually the other week, she was talking about how she'd settled in, got an apartment and was really just enjoying and embracing learning from these players and pushing herself every day. From one trophy to another, we had the Community Shield in England on the weekend as well. Chelsea Man City, Chelsea got up 2-0 with a Millie Bright banger and then a beautiful Erin Cuthbert goal as well. It was very interesting to see people's reactions to Sam Kerr's performance. I believe the words Wembley Nightmare were used by uh, one sport agency overseas so I think that needs a bit of a proper discussion. Harrow please the floor is yours talk to us about Sam Kerr's performance in the Community Shield. Yeah this is one of the ones I've been revving up for all day I think. Uh, we were watching this game the other <laughs> night the FA player was a, a little bit laggy um, at, the, at the best of times I think it was probably unprecedented demand um, from over here but, yeah, Sam, I thought, pro- copped a pretty harsh rap, all things considered. For those who didn't watch, um, she had about six really decent chances on goal, probably six shots, didn't convert any, missed one that would probably be a sitter by her standards, put one over the bar in the in the first minute or so. Like, she was just her finishing was off. And to be honest, I think it's something that we've seen even from players at the likes of Leon um, in this resumption and in world football generally is players just maybe not being so sharp in, around goals. But... Yeah, my thoughts on Sam were she probably copped a bit of a harsh rap with things like Wembley Nightmare, really struggling. Because for me, everything was there except for the end product. Her movement was fantastic. We know how she can break the lines and get past defenders and do those little flick-ons and moves and get her teammates involved and create the space for other players to get involved and have genuine attempts. Um, So, yeah, I know we have high expectations of Sam and I think in Europe those are magnified just because of the, you know, the wealth of expectation of her coming there. But, um, yeah, I thought maybe criticism a little bit harsh um, on that, the basis of that single performance. Yeah, and just jumping off that, I think also if Sam Kerr had signed with Chelsea and then just did everything right and blew everyone out of the water, it sort of defeats the purpose of the move. In my eyes anyway, she moved to Chelsea to challenge herself and um, be in a different environment. And I think also going off, yeah, she did have a lot of chances, but I feel like being able to create chances is a sort of better skill set to have than necessarily finishing. Finishing is something that you can work on and develop a little bit easier. And Sam will get there. I, I have confidence. So, yeah, I think the the reaction just comes from the 
pressure, I guess, and the expectations that are coming with Sammy as well. And so once that sort of psychological side of things develops a little bit more for her, um, I think she'll she'll be right. She'll be nice. Yeah. Yeah, we've seen this happen in the past with Sam Kerr as well. She's had a couple of sorts of stints where her finishing is just off and that's fine. That's normal. And we should be okay and almost expect that because as Angela said, like she's going to Europe specifically to improve. And we know that she's a great player. We know that she can finish opportunities like that, but she's never really come across uh, opposition like this before. She's never really come across having to play in a system like this before. So things are going to be a little bit off and that's fine. But also she's has, she hasn't played football for a while. Like, Everyone's going to be rusty at this stage. We can't expect her to absolutely hit the ground running, even though we would love her to. And I am definitely uh, part of the blame for sort of hyping up Sam Kerr on her move over there because I feel like a lot of the uh, English audience are now sort of expecting her to be able to, you know, absolutely blow everyone out of the water straight away. But we just need to give her time. Like like we need to give all players time. She's going to have ebbs and flows and that's great, but we need to make sure that the ebbs and the flows are timed correctly so that when she comes into Matilda's camp, and we actually have some serious tournaments that she needs to be finishing for, that's when she's at her peak. I think it's you look at that that day from Sam Kerr and one or two things go her way, the chances fall the other way, she maybe gets a bit better connection on a header, she takes her time with a couple of those chances. Everyone's talking about her being the best player in the world again. I think it's it's just very easy to swing from one extreme to the other. And I thought Emma Hayes actually summed it up really well. She was like really happy with what Sam contributed and her movement. She's probably going to be on the training pitch tomorrow working on her finishing, you know? Like, it's pretty, it's pretty straightforward. You see, the best players in the world can have an, an off day in front of goal. And I really love what Angela said about she did go to test herself. It's easy to forget that the time that you maybe have in the W League to line up that shot, get it right, drill it past the keeper. With these world-class defenders, you don't have that. With the best players coming out of it, you don't have that. Uh, you might get better, well, you, you do get better delivery and you get more opportunities, but at the same time, the pressure's higher, the, the players around you are better. So there is a lot to adjust to. So I'm, yeah, again, not too concerned about what it means for Sam. And I think if anything, she's a sort of player that will be, if you just look at her World Cup alone, will be so revved up. I would not want to be uh, Manchester United this weekend. Absolutely. And I think you you all raise really valid points, but especially about the managing expectation. And that's kind of a concept that's been floating around, particularly the Matildas, since we can say probably 2017, where all of a sudden they burst onto the national consciousness and everyone started thinking, they're going to win it. They're going to do this. They're going to do that. And it's been a steep learning curve, I think, particularly for the players, than what they had to go through in 2019. And that has kind of filtered down to club level as well. So how we go about managing expectations for these players, how media goes about their responsibility in kind of uh, creating this narrative and making sure that things don't get blown out of proportion. It's all a really kind of interesting thing and we'll see how that evolves as the season goes past. As Harrow said, Manchester United will be facing the wrath of of a Sam Kerr who missed many a shot on the weekend. So it's probably a perfect time to segue into our preview of the FAWSL. We've got lots of Aussies abroad at the moment. We've got 35 in 12 different leagues. Obviously, we can't talk about all of them because that's a very long pod. So we're going to focus for now on the FAWSL. 
we start off with Arsenal and Reading. We've got three Aussies at Arsenal. Unfortunately, Lydia Williams won't be taking part. She has an ankle injury and underwent surgery, so will be out for a few months. But it presents a really nice opportunity for the other keepers in the Matildas squad in a weird kind of way. I know Harrow has some thoughts on this. Take it away. So we look at Mackenzie Arnold as a player, um, clearly so much talent, such a good distributor of the ball. I think for a little bit there we're thinking maybe 2018, could she maybe surpass Lydia Williams? Could she step up, take that next step? Things probably didn't fall her way. She didn't have an overseas club for a bit there last year. She then went to Chicago and was the was the backup to Alyssa Nair, um, the US keeper. So I wasn't really getting any game time. But I think this is a massive opportunity for her. West Ham, I think, is a really good club for her to go to. She should be the number one goalkeeper there, get regular game time, training in a really good environment with lots of other Matildas in London as well, of course. And I think this is just such a really good opportunity for her to make a statement and say, I want this number one jersey. I want to run the show. I want to be the Matildas number one. And I think what almost complicates the fact is that Tegan Micah, who, as we know, is playing in Norway, the young Australian who was a third keeper at the World Cup, she's playing every week. She's playing really well. She's making teams of the week. She's impressing. We know she was at UCLA before this, which is a a top-ranked college Plenty of quality there, really good kid. Couldn't crack it behind um, Casey Dumont when she arrived late at Melbourne Victory. But now she's also thinking, maybe I can be number two. Maybe I can uh, make a little bit of an impact. So I think that's actually a really exciting position to be in because I feel like for the last, I'll be interested to hear your guys' thoughts. This last year or so, it's been, we've got Lids. Is she fit? Is she ready to go? She's such a class keeper. We know that for a long time we've had some quality there, but I think we really want to get to see it and see them these players pushing each other and genuinely contending um, for that top and that second spot. Yeah, absolutely, Harrow. And I think also it's important to take into consideration the fact that Lydia Williams is starting to get on in age. Like a number of other players in the Matildas, uh, particularly in the defensive midfield role, which is maybe something we can talk about a little bit later, we have a number of senior players who are now into their early to mid-30s. And so if we think about the longer-term project of the Matildas and the four major tournaments that we've got coming up over the next four years, we need to be making sure that we have a succession plan in place for these positions that are currently occupied by, like, veteran players. They're basically veterans. They're senior players. They've been in the setup for a really long time and they haven't really felt perhaps challenged in those positions. But... That matters, I think, if we're wanting the Matildas to improve internationally, if they're wanting to uh, go up in the world rankings, if they're really wanting to challenge for titles. We need to be ensuring that the players who are currently in the starting 11, if we could say that, uh, are feeling like they're constantly pushed to improve. And if they can't, and if their bodies start to break down because they start to age, we need to make sure that we've got players in place who can step up and step into those shoes and ensure that the team continues to grow. So speaking of Mackenzie Arnold, she has signed for West Ham for this new season and she will be joined at the Hammers by Emily Van Egmont. She, her signing is very short term, which we all thought was a really interesting thing. Um, it's only for the calendar year. It's technically a loan from Orlando Pride. It's a really interesting situation to be put in. Harrow, what do you think of the 
the shortness of Van Egmont's contract. Well, we know Emily Van Egmond, the quality that she brings um, to any team that she's in. She's been in fantastic form. You mentioned short-term deal. I think it's just a matter of letting her assess her options. Um, I'm not sure what the situation is in terms of Orlando with their loans because we know Alana Kennedy, Shalina Zadorsky also on, on loans, but those are with option to buy. I think for Em, it probably gives her the option to see how she settles in at West Ham, sees how she goes. On the surface, I think some people might have been questioning, oh, why isn't Emily Van Egmond probably the most informed Matilda of the past uh, 12 months? Why isn't she at, a, I don't know, an Arsenal or a Chelsea or a, a really big name? But I think if you look a bit closer, there's probably an opportunity for her to really make her mark on a team, um, really stamp her authority. I thought that was when she was at her best at Melbourne City. And also uh, for the Matildas, when she's been allowed to play her game, use that passing range. Her go- we know about her goal-scoring ability. So I think maybe there is an element of a, a dipping the toe in the water. We don't know the intricacies of the contract either. Sometimes there are options to buy or to extend and those sorts of things. But um, clearly she wants to be in London. A lot of her teammates and good friends are there. I think there's a lot of excitement around Emily Van Egmond as a recruit there, you'd think, because... We just know the quality that she brings and she's the sort of player you can actually build a team around. Um, Sam, interested in your thoughts. Yeah, to be honest, I'm I'm surprised it took her this long. I don't think Emily Van Egmond suits the NWSL. I don't think that she's had uh, particularly good seasons when she's been there. Um, and she already has so much experience in Europe. Her craft was honed in Europe and specifically in Germany. So moving to the FAWSL, which is now bringing in a whole raft of international players, I feel like Van Egmond's style and her um, her sort of game smarts Mm. suit the the sort of the overall style that English football is moving in as opposed to the extremely physical, um, athletic type of transitional play that we're used to seeing in the NWSL. And like you said, Harrow, like West Ham is – not a big enough club that she's going to have to really seriously compete or slot into something else, but it's the kind of club that can actually be built around her. And she is the, she's got enough talent to be a player like that. Um, and I feel like in the last 12 months, she has really re- sort of almost remembered that. Uh, for a while there, when she was still playing in Newcastle Jets, I feel like she sort of forgot how good she was. And we all forgot how good she was. Um, but those Olympic qualifiers for the Matildas, I think, were a real reminder to all of us that she's actually still a sensational player. She's incredibly gifted. She's got a, a brilliant vision um, and she's got the touch that's almost un, unparalleled um, in the Matildas at the moment. I think the other thing that a lot of people maybe didn't realise with them as well was she had that ankle injury. I think she actually went in for surgery, which that sort of thing could be quite debilitating. We know also she can play as a number six, but she, I think most people would say she's better further up the field in a more advanced role. She's got the intelligence to play um, deeper, but I think her skill set suits where she can, you know, be the one pulling the strings and making the moves and being creative and having other people maybe do a bit more of the dirty work behind her. So just the freedom that she got. I think um, the city uh, system she was in under Rado Vidasic really suited her as well. And then under Ante and the Matildas, her talents, um, I think, Club form generally does tend to translate into national team form. If a player's happy, if they're in form, it tends to keep rolling on. So no, I'm really excited um, as to what this can bring. Angela, you're a, you're a lifelong Hammers fan. Um, you must be buzzing. I absolutely am. Um, I'm also, yeah, uh, a big fan of 
Van Egmond. My comment is just, I'm so excited. And I <laughs> really think that she's a great, a great sign for the Hammers. And I think that she'll be really good. I don't, I don't have, it's not that intelligent, my thoughts. I'm just like, yeah, Van Egmond good, Hammers good, Angela happy. Um, but yeah. And also bouncing off what you said, Sam, about um, the FAWSL bringing in a lot of international signings as well I was having a look um earlier it seems like West Ham might have the most like diverse signings in their squad this season sort of pipping Arsenal at that so um I just found that quite interesting to see they've got people from all over Europe um and a lot of Aussies as well Galabatarachichi as well um alongside Macca and um Van Egmont so yeah I'll be Tuning in definitely on Sunday night, isn't it? Yeah. Sunday night, they're taking on Tottenham. So that should be an interesting clash of the Aussies. So hoping to see perhaps an an Alana Kennedy getting a start for Tottenham. What are our thoughts on that? Yeah, I'd love to hear Marissa's thoughts on this because Alana Kennedy in her press-up last week to the UK media was talking about, and she actually said this, I think, in her signing as well. One of the reasons she wants to play at Tottenham or one of the things that attracted her to Tottenham was the opportunity to maybe play in that holding midfield role as opposed to centre-back. Um, we know she's done that a bit um, or a fair bit actually at Orlando, um, I think especially when she was playing under Tom Samani. For me, when you look at the Matildas, you go, we're pretty short on centre-back options and Alana Kennedy's a world-class centre-back. But Marissa, I'm keen to see what you think of this move. Like, do you like the idea of her mixing it up? That's the thing. I think for her game personally, it makes sense and as you mentioned she has played as more of a midfield type especially at Orlando Pride but as you say as well we the Matildas need her as a centre-back it's a it's not a deep pool of centre-backs it's um something that we really struggle with and I think we can all comfortably say that Alana Kennedy is if not the number one centre-back then I suppose, the most long-term centre-back that the Matildas have at the moment and kind of what the defensive line would be built around for, I suppose, lack of a better explanation. So I think there is some value in her playing a bit more of an advanced role or as advanced as a, a six can be, but it does kind of throw up that conflict, I suppose, between club and country of what actually helps the Matildas versus what the player thinks, I suppose, she's best or most excited to take part in. It also is really interesting if she does play as a defensive midfielder in that West Ham Tottenham game, she'd be coming up directly against Emily Van Egmond, which poses itself as an interesting clash, to Hell say yeah. the least. I was going to say, Sam, please, what? how can you envision, I suppose, Van Egmond versus Kennedy in the FAWSL? I mean, like, I want it to happen so badly, just because I think that Van Egmond is such a good player that she's going to run absolute rings around Alana Kennedy if she's played as a six, to be honest. Um, and that's not a reflection of Alana Kennedy's capabilities. I think that she's a perfectly capable number six if she chooses to be there. Um, she's got the passing range of a number six and the vision of a number six. I don't think she's got the touch of a number six or the tight ball control that a number six requires for that role. Um, and so I think because of that, Van Egmond will be able to sort of um, put put a couple of balls through those very long legs. Let's let's sort of say that much. Um, but it'll be great. I'd like it would be it would just be awesome in terms of the narrative to come up like against your Matilda's teammate and to you know start to create those rivalries because like 
this is the thing with women's football I've noticed is that as opposed to men's football, men's football is so often based around these huge club rivalries, these rivalries of identity and culture. But women's football, because it hasn't had the same amount of time to develop and to sort of cement itself in the in the consciousness of a society, we we tend to follow the players more than we follow the clubs. But these like this exodus of Matildas to England, I think, is an opportunity for these kinds of rivalries to really start. Um, we've already got a couple that have been going for a while in England with, you know, your, your Man Cities and your Chelsea's and your Arsenal's and whatever's. But these are so, these are much more sort of identity-based and culture-based kinds of rivalries now. And the fact that we can have Australians there means that perhaps we're able to connect a lot of the, um, like, sort of Premier League following fans in Australia mm-hmm. to how our Matildas are going in the FAWSL as well. I agree with that, Sam. Um, I think we saw a bit in the, say, uh, the NWSL where you had Portland and NC Courage and Portland and Seattle. Like, in England, with the the fan bases growing all the time, you look at when Arsenal play Tottenham, the last thing those fans want to see is Alana Kennedy and Steph Catley getting on as good mates and that sort of thing, especially in the field of play because the attitude is, we hate these. These are our rivals. Exactly. Like, if you're Tottenham, if you're Chelsea, Arsenal, West Ham, just to name a few, um, obviously Liverpool aren't in the top division anymore, sorry, Sam, to have that rivalry with Everton. Mm-hmm. But if you've got these broadening fan bases, these rivalries are there and they're serious. And what I think what you want to see is players going toe-to-toe, like not, you know, like anything outside the line, but you want to see players have that fierce rivalry and, you know, play for the shirt. And I think that's something that's really exciting about our players going over and being a part of these big games and these big rivalries. It's, it's fantastic. Just adding on with, with rivalries, um, my father has demonstrated that to me over his lifetime. Um, so I feel like if he's listening right now, this might be the best time to drop that I own an Arsenal jersey. Um, <laughs> really sorry. Love you. <laughs> Just for context as well, for those listening at home, um, I grew up very close to the Arsenal training grounds in the UK. And my mum once mildly made the suggestion that maybe we follow Arsenal because they're local. And um, that was that did not go down well. Uh, there was the mention of divorce in that conversation. So <laughs> please don't hate me or write me out of the will, Father, if you are listening. I can't believe it. We've got confessions on episode one. Like this is really deep stuff. Oh, my goodness. But... I think speaking with rivalries, we are going to see a North London derby at some point during this FAWSL season. So we will switch back to Arsenal because it is, you know, a very Aussie heavy club at the moment. We've mentioned a little bit about Lydia Williams and how she won't be playing, but we do have Kate Ford and Steph Catley up there. Sam, I'll throw to you, how or what does what does the move to Arsenal mean for those two players and their careers? I mean, I think it's great for both. I think it's the kind of move that both players have needed for a while. Um, I don't think either Kate Ford or Steph Catley were really reaching their maximum potential doing the W League and WSL back-to-back season thing, Um, not just because it's exhausting. And uh, Catley in particular has, has spoken publicly a number of times about the fact that it contributed to her injuries and it contributes to fatigue. 
Um, so that's obviously a huge reason why so many Matildas are going to Europe now is because they don't want to do that anymore. They have the option to go over there and settle there permanently to play full seasons in a fully professional environment. That's that's the kind of thing that anyone would want. Um, but I think the move is particularly good for, for Kate Ford and for Steph Catley to go to Arsenal because they play the kind of system that both players absolutely love. Um, Catley obviously really enjoyed her time under Joe Montemuro when he was at Melbourne City. And so reconnecting with him is obviously something that she's really keen to do. And I think that Steph Catley is going to play a really major role in what Arsenal does over the next two two or three seasons. Um, If we just looked back at the quarterfinal that Arsenal played against PSG, Katie McCabe, you know, even though she is an international player and she's great, she got absolutely rinsed in that game. And one of my gripes was that Montemuro didn't bring Steph Catley on earlier to replace Katie McCabe. Um, and ultimately it was McCabe's error that led to PSG scoring the, the winning goal. So, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm really excited to see both of them um, actually get some serious minutes for Arsenal. I think Caitlin Ford will perhaps um, find it a little bit more difficult to crack into the team. Um, but that's good because it's going to force her to improve. And ultimately, I think the way that I think about all of these moves, not just in England, but in Europe generally, is all of it's geared towards the Matildas. All of this is should be the like the the thing on the horizon. The our ultimate goal is twenty twenty three. That should be the lens through which we're looking at all of these and all these moves, understanding them and talking about them. So if these kinds of moves are going to contribute to these players being at their absolute peak in 2023 when we host the Women's World Cup in Australia and New Zealand, that's that's it. That's that's what we want. Yeah, I think uh, spot on, Sam. We saw the Katie McCabe, I guess, get exposed at times in that game. Um, I think with Catley, she did have a maybe it was about a get, getting a bit of fitness up as well. Maybe they were wary of um, putting too many minutes in her. We know, as you mentioned before, Sam, she's been overloaded at times in the past and uh, the last thing you want is for her to break down. I think if you had the option, you'd start her over most left-backs in the world every every day of the week because she's sensational. Um, talking about this with some of the UK journos, the first thing I say is she just flies under the radar, um, Steph. She is so good defensively, which I think is something she has over, as well as experience over, say, an Ellie Carpenter at the moment, as well as being able to push forward and press on and use that delightful left foot. Um, such a quality player. I think she'll slot in beautifully at Arsenal and be a huge part of their plans. For me, uh, Caitlin Ford is uh, someone who I also think can be a bit of a difference maker. You look at um, the players Joe's got there at Arsenal and so many are so technical. Um, Daniela Vanderdonk is probably the one that's got that little bit of a nasty streak and a bit of grit to her. But Caitlin Ford's got that too. We saw her pick up that yellow card early in a um, Champions League debut. She's physical. She's so good with the ball at her feet. At her feet, she takes the game on. She knows how to throw her body about. Like she can has that remarkable ability to sort of cut inside and roll onto her onto her right foot and strike. I think these are just little things that um, not necessarily every player can do, and I think it's something that's maybe a point of difference. And when you're Arsenal and you've been the champions, and people are coming for you and trying to unpick your game, someone like a Caitlin Ford is someone you can either start or you can throw into the mix, you can move her around a, f- a front three, for example, or play her off a striker. We saw Ante Milic do this at times with her playing off Sam Kerr and really be that little bit of a difference maker. So I think it's just so exciting what these players can do and the opportunities they've had. And as Sam mentioned, the fact that you have to compete for a place, I think is just 
huge for all our players over there. You're not rocking up and going, I'm going to start, I'm going to play 90, next game, going to start, going to play 90. You have to work around different competitions, you have to work around different players, different systems, and at times you're going to be the one that gets exposed, like we talked about with McCabe. At times you're going to be the hero. It's just, uh, I think, such an exciting position to be in. I suppose then moving from one Aussie coach to another, we've got Tanya Toby at Bristol and she's also kind of pulled on those Australian connections to make a couple of signings. Angela, what do you think about, I suppose, or how going to Bristol will benefit Chloe Legazzo and especially Ella Mastro-Antonio, who's, you know, currently not in Matilda's contention? Do you reckon this could be how she works her way at least back into sort of the fringes? Yeah, definitely. Um, big fan of Master Antonio um, and especially her time at Victory. I like having her on my team. Um, but yeah, <laughs> I, and I think definitely for Ella, it will be about um, proving her worth over there and getting those minutes. And I think, yeah, um, I don't really have much more to add than that. Um other than I hope that it does sort of boost her profile a little bit and um, sharpen her game and yeah, see her in contention for being in the squad. Can I just touch on how excited I am to see uh, some attacking midfielder make their way up the field and be confronted with Chloe Legazzo, then Ella Mastrantonio? Because for mine, that is like tackling-wise, it's like having a couple of terriers going at you because we know Chloe Legazzo, um, that miracle of Montpellier, how fantastic she was with her pressing and her pressure and her willingness to win every ball back. And Ella Mastrantonio, she's got that great passing range, but she's got some serious bite in her tackling as well. Super gritty midfielder, knows Tanya Oxtobe from a long way back. Obviously, we've played at Perth together. I'm super excited to see how they line up together. Bristol come up against another Aussie this weekend. Hayley Razzo is the one on the other team, actually. Um, finally gets her chance at Everton. Sam, I, I'm really keen to see what you think about this because... We know she was back and forth and had to wait so long to get her chance. Yeah, no, I, Hayley Rasser to Everton is really exciting. And the reason that I'm excited about that is because Everton were, uh, they were a bit of a dark horse in the FAWSL last season. Um, I don't think a lot of people expected them to finish where they did. Uh, you know, I'm pretty sure they finished fourth, um, fourth or fifth. Like it was, it was pretty tight and they played some really exciting football, I have to say, under Willie Kirk. Um, I'm sort of annoyed that Chloe Kelly, their centre forward, has been snapped up by Manchester City, as they tend to do, just vacuum around the entire world and find every good player and bring them to them. Um, But I think Hayley Rasso is a good replacement for Kelly. Um, She's just as dynamic. She's just as quick. And I think she has the ability to be just as good a finisher. Um, So, yeah, I'm I'm super keen to see how she does. I think um, being, again, like... We've sort of seen her time at Portland Thorns was really good for her because she, I think, realised, sorry, that's a cat that's just like uh, banging at my door. Um, two cat problems now in the pod rather than just one. I know, Angela just gave me a look, I know. It's Angela's um, shit, Sam. <laughs> um, her, I completely forgot what I was saying now. Yeah. <laughs> You were talking about uh, Hayley Razzo and her time at Portland, how beneficial it was. She really played yes. as a player. She did. She really did. I think she she was uh, she was played in a system and she was played alongside teammates that allowed her to maximise her skill set. 
Um, and she became a legend practically overnight at Portland Thorns. The fans just absolutely adored her. And it's a real shame that her time there was cut short, I think, after she got that terrible back injury. But I think she has a similar opportunity to do that here in Everton. Um, and as heartbreaking as it is for me to admit it, they now have a, a, a sort of the clear air of, of Liverpool, the city, um, now that the Liverpool women's team has been relegated um, to the championship. So I think, yeah, so Hayley Rasso is the kind of character, both on and off the field, that I think that a lot of people are going to really love um, and they're going to really sort of enjoy. So, yeah, I'm super keen to see how she goes. And she's going to be playing with Izzy Christensen, who um, had that injury at Leon, but was at Leon, um, is an England player, and also Claire Emsley, who I rate super highly. We saw her, how influential she was for Melbourne City this year. Um, those two at times could almost be competing for a spot, but um, I think they might actually work really well together. Both of them are absolute workhorses, and I just I just think there's something special about that. It's, uh, it's a pretty exciting place to be, and it is great to see that Hayley did extend her contract as well, given, um, obviously, COVID and, um, you know, the nose break and those sorts of things all interrupted it. So we've touched on basically every single Aussie that will be playing in England. Obviously, the only match we haven't gone into detail with is Man United-Chelsea, but we all know that it's going to be Sam Kerr, the beginning of Sam Kerr's redemption arc from the Wembley nightmare. So the English League is obviously not the only league that is happening in the world, although this podcast kind of suggests otherwise at the moment. We do have the Dutch League getting underway. So Kaya Simon and Amy Harrison will be playing for PSV this weekend. The French League also starts this weekend. So we've got Emma Checker and Mary Fowler coming up against each other. Ellie Carpenter will have to keep her Champions League celebrations to a minimum as they (laughs) get their season underway very soon. And Laura Brock will be playing for Gingomp against PSG. So there's lots of other football to be played as well. We'll switch focus, I suppose, a little bit to some W League uh, news. There's not a lot because of <laughs> Corona and just general Australian football vibes, I suppose. Um, Angela, you wanted to talk about something and I think that you should talk about the important W League news that has surfaced yeah, um, so I saw on Facebook the other day that Michelle Heyman said she might, well, that wasn't, she, I think she sort of was testing the waters to see how people would feel about her making a comeback to the W League. Michelle, if you're listening, I think, great idea, do it, I'm a big fan. I love it. Do you think she'll end up back at Canberra or return to Adelaide? She did play a season there. I, I'd like to think she would go back to Canberra. Um but I'm not, I'm not really sure, to be honest. I think it was just a very brief Facebook post that didn't tell us too much. Um, but I I always associate Heyman with Canberra um, and um, with, like, early memories of the W League for me. So hopefully, fingers crossed. Sam is our resident Sydney sider. Sydney's really the only team that's made any sort of significant W League announcements. What did you make of the bulk of their uh, signing announcement? Yeah, it's great. I'm I'm really looking forward to watching how Sydney go. Um, I I respect the fact that they are leaning into youth. I think that that's something that all W League clubs are going to have to do this season. Um, obviously, it's going to be a transition season for this league. The fact that we don't have our senior Matildas and the possibility that we're not going to have very many internationals, um, depending on things like border control and whether or not other competitions are going ahead, um, any sort of arrangements that can be made between leagues. I think a lot of it is still up in the air. And so I think Sydney have, um, 
they've done they've done the right thing in in come in coming out on the front foot and saying this is what we're going with this is going to be the core of our squad and getting underway and getting them um, gelling, getting them training together, getting them used to each other because, you know, it's going to take to take a while. We've got a couple of new players who've come in um, who are super exciting. I'm so – I cannot tell you how excited I am to see Claire Wheeler play for Sydney FC. Um, she has been unbelievable for Newcastle Jets and in the MPL for a really long time. And I'm honestly thinking that going back to uh, our number six Tilly's chat – I honestly think Claire Wheeler needs to be in the conversation for for a young player who's going to be taking over a defensive midfield role once KK and Ivy Lewick move on. Um, I, I, I can't tell you how much I rate her, so I'm, I'm super excited to see her. And it's really great to see Rachel Lowe back in the league. I mean, she had some time at the US College, but it didn't really seem to um, go according to plan. So it's really great to see her back um, in, in Sky Blue rather than in uh, the red and black of Western Sydney. So... Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping that we get a couple more um, player announcements. We saw today Western Sydney announced that uh, Caitlin Cooper has re-signed for them, which is great. Another experienced player, former Matilda, um, someone who is going to hopefully lead uh, another young squad to perhaps another Final Four finish. Um, and, yeah, I mean, knowing what we know about Adelaide, for example, they've always been quite heavily reliant on their young uh, South Australian players, so it'll be good to see a couple of them get more of a, more of a crack. Um, in the absence of some some internationals as well. So, yeah, I mean, again, everything's up in the air. We're not really sure um, when the season will start. Harrow, you reported today that um, the possibility of a season starting early next year um, could be a thing. I'm hearing uh, sort of end of November, early December. Um, but, yeah, like COVID is just like ruining all of this for all of us. Hey, like I don't really... I don't really blame the FFA for um, sort of delaying this sort of stuff because they, they, they happen to take it one day at a time. They've only just finished the A-League and getting the A-League off the ground after being completely shut down and getting to the grand final is a monumental effort considering the amount of staff that FFA have lost and the amount of funding that they've lost. Um, so now hopefully the A-League is done. They can turn their attention to the W-League and we'll get some more concrete information over the next few weeks. Well, yeah, I think that's exactly right, Sam. Like uh, I spoke to James Johnson, as you mentioned, for AAP yesterday, and he said one thing we can say is the A-League and the W-League will both be starting later, likely um, early next year, 2021. But to be honest, um, as Sam said, is is so much is up in the air, especially in terms of things like state border restrictions with a national competition. So the exciting thing is teams like Sydney FC starting to get lists together. The difficult thing, um, speaking to Rado Vidasic um, from City um, for one of their citizens giving things a little while ago, he said the difficult thing is you can't watch the NPL here in Victoria because the local seasons here aren't happening. So there's a lot of difficult things for clubs and players and everyone involved to deal with. So I think it's a real watch this space in terms of the W League. Watch this space indeed. Obviously, as more news drops about the W League, we will discuss it. But for now, let's change tack with The Boot. So we will have a segment every week called The Boot. And this is Angela's time to shine for this week. Angela, do you want to talk us through what The Boot is and then crack into it? Yeah, so I guess The Boot, um, week to week, it'll just be one thing that may have gotten up our goat in the footballing <laughs> world, um, something that, yeah, perhaps rubbed us the wrong way. Sometimes this might be a serious issue, sometimes a bit more um, lighthearted. This week, definitely leaning more towards the lighter side of things, for, and I will be bringing you, you the first the first boot. Um, 
yeah, and I think some people may have already seen this if you if you're in Twitter Twitter world. Um, the news about Lionel Messi leaving Barcelona uh, broke Wednesday morning for us Australians, um, but it was pretty much an hour before the Barcelona women's team was set to head out onto the field for their Champions League semi final against Wolfsburg. Um, and I just want to say I'm not baying for blood. I don't think anyone's to blame for this. It was just like really unfortunate timing, but it was still just a bit like eye twitchy oh, <laughs> men's football taking the attention away from my precious, <laughs> precious women's football. Um, and so, yeah, I'm giving that, that the boot this week, you know, poorly timed men's football news, taking the spotlight, <laughs> especially when like with women's football, we've been waiting for so long for like, some good stuff to start happening um but yeah nothing against Lionel Messi nothing I hope he is much happier at his next club and everything works out for him but yeah that's that's the boot this week and then I suppose on the flip side we do want to always kind of end on a a positive note so we will finish with our how good uh phrase commonly uttered in our many group chats So the how good for this week is the arrival of Harley Rose Yollop. A big congratulations to Kirsty and Tamika. The baby is already very well loved. I'm pretty sure there's going to be a good tug of war between Australia and New Zealand, but she's already, you know, the official as one ambassador (laughs) of the 2023 World Cup. So she's doing very well for herself and it's great news all around. So congratulations to the Yollops. Sam, I know you have a how good as well. I do have a how good. Usually we try to sort of keep it just to one how good, but there have been so many how goods this week and particularly this weekend. And I just want to give a shout out to Japanese legend Saki Kumagai, who scored that absolute belter in the Champions League final against Wolfsburg. And there's a gif going around. Yes, gif. That's how I'm pronouncing it. There is a gif going around which films the goal from behind her and you can see it just swerve ever so slightly out and then back in. You look at the way that her foot connects with the ball when she strikes through it. It's just poetry. And so, yeah, shout out to her. She's the most decorated Asian player that we have ever seen. She's so talented and she's, you know, like, and she she was part of one of the most important football moments for me, which was Japan winning the Women's World Cup in 2011. She scored the winning penalty and now she's still kicking around scoring absolute screamers like that I just adore her so yeah how good Sam how good was how good how good (laughs) you simply love to see it and with that I think that is a perfect time for us to wrap up this first episode of the far post we have obviously spoken about a lot of things we know we got some questions about the W League and the future of the W League that will be addressed next episode so those questions will be answered if you are just learning about this for the first time and would like to ask us some questions we are at the far post pod on twitter you can find us on facebook you can download the pod you can subscribe and rate and review and all those other podcasty things at spotify on apple podcasts and we should be on google podcasts very shortly so from me and the gang thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you soon I'm keeping that in, Angela, just because I love that. <laughs>